Drunk Monkeys podcast. I'm Colleen Carney Hefner, and with me, I'm Chris Pruitt, and we are here to discuss season one, episode four, "Rest in Pain." That's how I read it. That's how I read the title in my head when I queued it up. I would like to talk about this title as little as we can possibly get away with. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so moving on. (laughs) Okay, so if you're not familiar with our format, just real quick, we like to just kind of spoiler light, go through the the episode scene by scene. So let's just jump into it. Uh, We start with Audrey. She's eavesdropping on Coop. Um. And, you know, he comes into the room and she calls him Colonel Cooper. Do and we he, even know that that's his rank? Have yeah, we even no, I think it? she just, I honestly think she just made it up. Yeah. And he's like, just agent, special yeah. agent. Just agent, special agent. <laughs> <laughs> just agent, Audrey. Special, special agent. agent. Oh, God. They're so cringy. I just, I'm not. It's really rough. It's rough. And um, he's like, please have breakfast with me. Um. I'm uncomfortable with every Cooper and Audrey scene, quite frankly. Yeah, I'm it's, just, it's it's uncomfortable, it's dorky, it's cringy, it's just, I don't like it, so. It, it's not a good time, I, you know, you'll see this, this is not going to make sense to first pass watchers, but I don't think it's any spoiler to say that, um, you know, at some point there was thought to be a romance plot brewing here that got derailed behind the scenes, and all I can say is thank God because yeah. for all for all the like pointing to that as part of what derails some of the plot later on, um, nobody wants this. No, <laughs> I don't want it. Nobody wants it. He's like, yeah, and he's like, mm, your perfume it smells so good. Which at first I'm like, Ugh. but then I remember there's this whole perfume subplot yes. that's very important to what's happening. So, um, um, real quick, I am going to step away from the microphone so I can finish eating that. I so. made some amazing. <laughs> baguettes with brie and butter as referenced in the last episode uh, and matt's gonna step away and eat his because it's crunchy he doesn't want it to be picked up but they are really good and i suggest everybody try them it's delicious the only thing that could have made them better is if they were aged 30 hours on an airplane <laughs> on multiple airplane flights from I... europe to wherever the hell pacific northwest i offered to leave them in the sun for a while I, and... I graciously refused. <laughs> um, um, okay, so... Um... So, there is an actual reason Coop is interacting with Audrey here, which makes this particular interaction a little easier to swallow. He received that note under his door in the previous episode that said, Jack with one eye. And so, knowing Audrey's eagerness to be in his little bubble, he just, in, in I guess, an effort to check out her handwriting... Uh, hands her a slip of paper or a napkin or something, and he goes, uh, now, could I have you write your name for me? And she's just like, sure. <laughs> Not- <laughs> sure, all right. This is weird. <laughs> it's it's a fun little character moment. It's also like, you, a lot of characters will begin sleuthing in various ways in this episode, but it's telling us early how out of her depth Audrey is with this. Yeah, she thinks she's going to be the super sleuth, and she's just not even realizing what's going on here. Um, he asks about One-Eye Jacks, and she says that it's, you know, uh, up north. And she says, men go there. And he says, do women go there? And she says, well... And she actually gets kind of, like, embarrassed. And she's like, well, women work there in her, you know, like, suggesting that it's right. a house of ill repute. 
<laughs> and then, um, oh, I just like totally blanked. <laughs> Well, he does. He oh, goes God, this on. is how like vapid I think these scenes with <laughs> Audrey makes yeah. me work at talking. Yeah, so. yeah, they, they're a little tough to sit through. He does bring up the perfume counter thing again here. It gets mentioned um, that Ronette and um, Laura. Laura had both at one point worked at the perfume counter at um, at Horns. At Horns, he named it after store. himself. Yes. No shit. That's what you do when you own a store. <laughs> Especially in small town America, if you own a store, what are you even doing if you don't put your own name on it? Um, Coop analyzes her handwriting here, and he's like, it leans slightly to the right. That means a heart that yearns. And she's like, "Mm mm-hmm. And I just want to die. Like, I want to be dead. Gross. (laughs) It's gross. Um, And then let's just move on. That's pretty much the scene, right? Nothing else of note. Well, so what happens is we start to see... Lucy and Sheriff Truman approaching very determinedly because if we remember the very last thing that happened in episode three was Coop called to say, I know who committed the murder. No, it can wait until the morning. So here comes Sheriff Truman and Lucy to take note of um, who the murderer is <laughs> since Dale knows it. And um, my now, first- we let's again, he knows it. Yeah. He stresses that he knows who, who the killer is. So, first of all, why the hell did Lucy come here? You know what? I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, is she acting as like a like a note taker, a secretary? Yeah. And, and that is what she does in the scene, but it still doesn't make any sense. I don't really know why she's there. I don't know why. Even Andy would have made yeah, more of yeah, it. Yeah, like at least Andy's like an actual cop. Like, I, I can't believe Truman's like, we know who the killer is. Gotta call Lucy, my most <laughs> Lucy. my most determined assistant. Lucy, can you get in an hour early today? Something very important yeah. is going to happen. So, um, so Cooper starts explaining his dream from the, the night before, and he says Harry and Lucy were there in it, which I don't remember that the, being a I, thing. I don't remember that being a thing either, unless it was one of the faces that flashed by earlier. There's multiple details he mentions and characters that are supposedly there that we don't really see in that dream or remember and i'm wondering if this is like an editing situation or um if this is something like when you remember a dream but like you know like he's recalling a dream he remembers which isn't necessarily the dream he had and uh, dreams of course get muddled when you wake up you could be misremembering from a different dream or whatever so i'm not sure what's happening in this beginning of this scene really all that much but this is this is one this is an early instance of an increasingly uh frequent thing that we'll encounter in going over this series is that as the rules around what's happening what's not happening and how we determine what those things are grow increasingly loose in the world of twin peaks uh we're gonna get a lot of scenes where uh do we generously interpret this weird like thing as you know, this is about the dream logic that's going on with Cooper here, or, you know, maybe we're being kept from some information that the characters have, or is it just straight up, they cut that part in the editing room, they didn't fix the dialogue. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it feels equally likely. Um, I mean, it, as we grow towards the close of season two and the return, it'll start to feel increasingly deliberate again. But there's a big stretch in the middle here where it can be rough to tell if something's happening on purpose or if this is, you know, 
It's just this is whoop, the, this one this of those Hollywood much, whoopsies. That's what we call them. Too much of the sausage factory being visible while we eat. Um, okay. Um, so, he, okay. So, he basically, it goes into a little bit more of the dream that we recognize. He's like, you know, there was a mic and a bob. They lived above a convenience store. There was like a dancing little person. It was real weird. And then Laura whispered to me who the killer was. And they're like, okay, who is it? And he's like, I don't remember. But if you break the code, then you'll find the killer. That's not you know who the killer is. It, it's not. It's also... <laughs> you asshole! It's, uh, so Lucy helpfully takes notes here. Break the code, solve the crime. Yeah, she makes sense. <laughs> she, she's very on top of it. Put um, garbage in garbage I, can. <laughs> I, I, do, I do have to appreciate the, uh, the police force of Twin Peaks immediately directing their entire investigation around this. Even Truman's like, oh man, that's a bummer. Like, we need to figure out this dream. Like, it's no longer about collecting evidence. It's no longer about anything. It's about figuring out Cooper's dream. They both go, and they just damn. Kind of go right into it. Yeah, damn. Like, oh, oh man, that stinks. Um, wow. Yeah. All right, well, we'll work with it. I would be furious if someone called me and they were like, I know who the killer of this girl is. You need to meet me tomorrow for breakfast. Don't worry about it. I've got this under control. And then they were like, mm, I forgot. I would be furious. But no. But They're no. fine with it. Whatever. Um, I, I do want to point out before we move beyond this detail, and we talked about this a little bit off mic, but um, in the previous episode, I asked, kind of wondered aloud, what is the connection between Mike Bob as Coop envisions them here and the Mike and Bobby characters in Twin Peaks? And... Uh, while we don't really have any answers on that yet, and possibly not ever, <laughs> Sheriff Truman does make a point in this scene to go, oh, Mike and Bobby. And he goes, no, 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 no. This is, it's this like, this is, different. is a different Mike and Bobby. And I do want to interject and say that after last episode, I did do several days worth of looking up what people's theories on this Mike and Bob situation, Mike and Bobby, Mike and Bob and I mean, I found mess- message boards back in the very early 2000s. I read every single page and it basically boiled down to it's either a coincidence or it's a strange sort of mirroring, um, which I mean, this show has a lot of mirroring. And so that's I can kind of buy that. But for the most part, it's really just like a mm, I don't know. So yeah. I did not get down to the bottom of any of that in our little hiatus between episodes. We'll see a lot more mirroring come to the front in this series as we go on. Some of it makes sense. Some of it doesn't always. There's usually some pretty clear connection. I don't feel like the connection is super clear here. um, And I don't know if maybe watching for it, I'm going to discover something new this watch through or not. But um, I don't... it's not a spoiler for me to say I have no idea what the association between those two names is. <laughs> right, right. As somebody who has watched this series multiple times. I'm definitely keeping it in the back of my head as well. Um, okay, so while we leave that scene with no real answers or just kind of a break the code of the dream, that's your assignment. So we'll and, get right on that, I guess. And we're leaving the scene because it sounds like a fight has broken out Is somewhere. there a fight happening? And there is. Our favorite person, Albert, is fighting with Donna's dad, who I always forget what his name is. Uh, Doc, Doc Hayward. Hayward. <laughs> but, like, I, I don't know what if, his first name is. If we know is. what his actual name is, I, it, it doesn't matter. His name is Doc. And, and they are, fine. like, fighting. Like, they, pushing each other around they, like an actual fight. They're, they're doing some, like, serious, like, 
like Doc Hayward's doing some serious like old man posturing. Um, you know, can I use your pen? Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, <laughs> listeners. Thought she was sorry. Uh, sorry, uh, there's a dog, and I thought that there was a gesture about the dog. We're very frazzled, and today. instead, it was about a pen. Um, I just needed a pen. Okay, yeah. so then Albert comes out with these amazing um, insults. You chowderhead yokel. You blithering hayseed. And I'm sorry, but chowderhead has to be one of the best insults you could ever call somebody. It's really good. Um, He also, Albert gets accused rightly in this scene of not having any care for the family of Twin Peaks. Basically, we didn't set the scene at all. We just started talking about what what funny stuff Albert's doing. But Um, yeah, we should probably So basically. They're, they're trying to take Laura's body away for the funeral. Albert has more tests to do. He is doing it with a comically large drill that he keeps, like, sort of brandishing. Um, he is being accused of not caring about the feelings of the townspeople, to which Albert responds that he is, and I quote, the sultan of sentiment, end quote. Um, which, I, you know, maybe he is. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> who knows what lurks in his heart? I, yeah. <laughs> Um, and so we have, as we come on the scene, of all people, Ben Horn is playing the peacekeeper here, like, trying to be like, okay, okay, I'm trying to move this shit along, uh, let's He's like, you're gonna give me this body. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you can have a funeral, you can dig a hole, you can throw some dirt in it, but I'm not giving you this body. And it's, like, a very heated debate about what is happening with Laura. And and Laura's there. Yeah. They're fighting over her corpse. Over her literal corpse, and then, um... Uh, Coop and Truman show up, and Harry Truman just rocks Albert's shit. He just cold cocks He's him. like, basically like, <laughs> did you ever see Drowning Mona? <laughs> when she's like, what are you gonna do, hit me? And he does. It's like, it's pow. basically that yeah. scene, but it's a little Drowning Mona reference for everybody. Yeah. It's a great movie. But it's, um, and he falls kind of over Laura and gets chewed out rightfully. Um, G- gets chewed out. Um, what's Probably most notable to close out the scene is Coop takes the side of the townspeople. Like, Albert's like, did you see that? And he's like, uh, yeah, you, you uh, sorry, you deserved it. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, these people are so nice and you're being awful to them. Yeah. Like, these people are nice. You're shitty. Give me your test results. So, yeah. Um, and then he, there's a really nice moment where he kind of stands over Laura and just like looks at her and fixes her arm and stuff. And he looks so sad. And I thought that that was a very sweet little moment. Um, I mean, not sweet in a nice way because she's dead, but, you know, I thought it was just, like, a kind sort of, like, I'm sorry this happened to you moment. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of humanity out of Coop, which is, it comes and goes, yeah. as we see him. <laughs> I don't want to say it's always absent, but, uh, I don't know. Uh, then we cut to Invitation to Love, which is, hands down, my favorite part of any episode. We get, we, we had the title teased before, but we didn't really know a lot about it. But now, we get the cast reveal here. Yeah, we're getting which into is it. really some good shit. Chet is my guy. He just looks like a human Dilbert cartoon. <laughs> He's just like, I, I cannot even believe this man that they found to play this role. <laughs> he reminds me of Bobcat Goldthwait in Scrooge. Like, okay. I just get Bobcat vibes. You know, yeah, he's just totally. like a blithering goofball. He's a blithering hayseed. Is yeah, he, he, he totally is. And they, they have this woman playing like the... We, we've talked about the David Lynch, Madonna, and horror complex thing here and whether or not he explores or moves beyond that binary in his work here. And you can absolutely see him doing some self-parody on this with mm-hmm. the invitation to love where you have like the one woman character and she's playing 
Emerald and Jade. <laughs> who are the, the most 90s, like, good girl versus 90s smoldering sexy girl, like, they ever. They have very big yeah. hair. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's super good. It, yeah. Emerald and Jade. Anyway, it, it's a shame that we don't have just, like, complete episodes of Invitation to I Love I would love to somewhere. think that they filmed like, an entire, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. series. And chose what to cut. And somewhere it is, like, out there, and I would love to watch it. And so we move from seeing Emerald and Jade. <laughs> To another another doubling, speaking of doubling, as we already talked about, we get introduced to possibly one of the most irritating character situations in the entire show as uh, Laura Palmer just suddenly (laughs) appears on the screen. But with brown hair. But with brown hair. Different. (laughs) And and kind of... big, goofy glasses. Yeah, yeah, kind of like Coke bottle glasses. I actually love these glasses. They're great. They're very Angela Bauer from Perfect Strangers, which are like my dream glasses. I would love to find a pair like that. Real into the glasses. The glasses are the best element. Um, and so we get to be... I wrote love her glasses. We get should. we get to be just sort of confused for a moment. Um, she's basically... How much do we learn about her in this scene? Honestly, uh, nothing. She, yeah. It's just... She's like, oh, Uncle Leland? And he's like, Maddie? Yeah, yeah. So you just assume, oh, like so, this is a relative yeah. of a sort. Like, it, it's not really... Yeah, it, we learn right away that she's not supposed to be Laura, but she is Laura. And <laughs> it's it's a problem. <laughs> it's a real problem. It's a real problem. And we're going to see how it continues to be a problem. But basically what we know for now is her name is Madeline, and she is some kind of cousin or something of Laura. Um, We've got Norma. Yes, um, we go to, Norma is speaking to, um, I'll admit I was watching this episode with my six-month-old daughter, and she is annoying. She didn't help with the notes. She's not great. So, um, I mean, she is great, but not when it comes to watching Twin Peaks. (laughs) She's not great. She's not great. (laughs) Um, So I kind of missed, but I assumed this was a lawyer, right? Yes, this is a lawyer. We don't really get any introduction here, but we get the conversational context uh, you know, your husband's in jail, like, are you, um, you know, how are you going to help him out if he gets out yeah. of jail? Norma... He's looking at three to five yeah. for manslaughter. Yeah. It's like Norma is not looking very thrilled to be discussing how to get Hank out of prison or how to be helpful on that. She's Seems- like, but my husband's going to really mess up my boyfriend's situation. Yeah, yeah. And then he hits on her. He, He's like, so how do you like keep the guys away or like whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, dude, really? Like, he hits on her or is creeping just for the sake of creeping. Yeah. Either way, and then she says, "Oh, because uh, I just He's told like, him that." Yeah. How do you keep the the men away? Yeah. And she's like, "I just tell them my husband's serving three to five for manslaughter, but he wants to be a real good member of society soon." Yeah. And he's like, mm, "Well, I gotta go. I'll see you in court." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gotta go. But he knows that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, so why the whole, would that freak the whole him thing out? Is weird. I don't. Yeah. It's an I don't odd. Know. It's a very odd scene. Yeah. Norma is hot. Incredible. I assume everybody. Just yeah. <laughs> hits on her constantly. So yeah, I yeah. guess they, this was their way of shoehorning in, oh, yeah, she's hot, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, like, yeah, we, we the audience, were not able to figure that out by this point. <laughs> How? I don't know. Um, we've got Leo. He's just chopping some wood. <laughs> chopping some wood. But he, I love this because Coop is, <laughs> stops and goes, ooh, ducks on the lake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, it's a very John we, Mulaney, like, ooh, yeah. ducklings. Yeah, yeah. We, we, get, we get a smash cut from, my husband is going to murder you, creepy lawyer guy, to ducks. And then, <laughs> so, so, Truman and uh, 
Coop have shown up on Leo's property, presumably because of the bottle incident in the previous episode. And also, um, well, what we've got here is that Leo is way too cool to button both straps of his overalls. He can only button Just one <laughs> over his like black turtleneck thing he's wearing he's so, while he's, he's so bizarre. Every time what I is see your aesthetic? Him, yeah, I don't yeah, get you. I, I don't get it. And it's certainly like the way they are dressing him up for the show, like He's like, oh, he's like this hardened guy. Like he he beats his wife. He's doing drugs. He's like, so, so like every time he's on screen, he just looks like the hugest dork. Like he looks like he's running the D and D club at the high school. Like I, I have a really hard time reconciling. I cannot take yeah. Leo seriously. Yeah, it's it's, it's rough. I love. Coop's like, is your name actually Leonard? He's like, it's not a question. <laughs> like, it, you know, to be fair, not to side with Leo yeah. as I sometimes do. But a cab. So, <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> and also it is an awfully dumb question. Yeah, it is it, classic cop shit. Uh, we we get some real, uh, real overall pointless interaction between the cops and yeah he's like so you have a criminal record that started off small and got a little bit worse as it went on and then he's like where were you the night laura died and he was like i was in butte which is just (laughs) so so i was i pointed that out too that was my favorite detail in the scene though because he he said um he said oh i was i was in butte i called my wife you can ask her like it is like incredibly affected tough guy voice but what's great about that is it does bring this incredibly ridiculous moment from the pilot episode with this like he butte why is he back already and it's like and it's like it it, it reads as like this weird slapstick scene in the original scene but now it kind of gets recontextualized as oh he was building an alibi for himself by whatever criminal thing he was doing smart i don't like that like i don't want to give the character credit but but it does turn one of the dumbest moments of the series into like, oh, this makes a little bit of sense. <laughs> uh, let's see. We're on to. Uh, oh, this is the scene with the major yes. and and Bobby. Um, are they getting ready for the funeral here? They're getting ready for the okay. funeral. Because I just wrote Madge Bub. Yeah, I think it says Bob, but. <laughs> Madge Bub. I was obviously. Yeah, so the major stuff. is like coming in to offer some. Uh, an open exchange of communication in order to soothe your potential emotional turmoil as a result this is, of this. Funeral. This is kind of sweet because he's like, okay, we're going to your girlfriend's funeral. Like, you're probably having emotions about it. And I'm uncomfortable, but I'm going to try. And he has this talk with him where he, like, almost doesn't look at him through the whole thing. He kind of looks straight ahead. And he's like... Neither of them are really looking at each other. But, like, he, it's not like they're, like... It's not like he's glancing yeah, at him yeah, and then, yeah, like, yeah. back. He's looking literally, like, straight at the camera or whatever. Yeah. And, um... And, you know, Bobby, he's like, oh, you want to talk to me about my cigarette smoking? And he's like, no, but that also sucks. And we'll go back to that later. Um, But he's just trying to have this, like, nice sort of, like, uh, he says, I know you have a disinclination towards having a meaningful exchange. (laughs) Yes, love that. Um, Which I thought was just, I mean, everything about the major rules. So it's just so good. And he's like, you know, I'm like, I'm here if you're feeling afraid. And then Bobby's like, I'm not afraid. And I kind of thought. Um, this was a really kind of nice scene because, uh, it, it plays off kind of funny because Bobby's like, you're whatever, dead. And you're like, oh, God, Yeah, Bobby, he's like, I'm going to turn this mother out at the funeral. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? But- and, like, Bobby is, like, such, like, a, like, hard character to take seriously in this, especially this, like, first season or whatever. But, um, 
I thought it was kind of nice because it's very realistic for like a teenage boy to be like, I don't have emotions. This is going to be fine. I'm going to be all right. I'm going to make this crazy. As he's like screaming and breaking into tears and as like, he says this. And yeah. it's like, you can tell it's like, you know, there's like a pain there that he's very overly trying to hide. Yeah. No. In a way that I have found teenage boys definitely do. Do in real life. Yeah. No, I, I, I wrote here that I feel like Bobby comes off really sympathetic in this scene, which is pretty much one of very few times that Bobby will come off sympathetic, especially in the early going of the series. And I think it does a really good job of reconciling the sort of like shithead character that he is with this guy who is struggling with some real pain here. Yeah. Like he's talked a lot of shit about Laura dying and how he's lost money. And yeah, maybe some of his upsetness or whatever is just from the fact that he's now, up shit creek and doesn't yeah. know what, he, what he's gonna do but it doesn't really matter where it comes from the point is that he's this kid that's struggling with a bunch of stuff and is trying really hard to not be the kid that's struggling with yeah. a bunch of stuff and he's like so cool and he definitely and, doesn't want to talk to his dad yeah about yeah he definitely yeah. doesn't want to talk to his dad and when he's just his dad's like i don't want you to be afraid of the funeral and he's like he's like scream crying afraid <laughs> it's like he's like yeah of course you're afraid <laughs> it's like it does it's it's a really it's a really well done scene it's well written it's well acted by the performers by both of them, yeah. yeah it's 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 a nice scene yeah for what it is. Yes, I mean, it's exactly. not like a sweet theme, but it's no, nice. No, it works well. It does, it does what it's supposed to do. Yes. <laughs> um, then we get to uh, the toxology report coming in. I mean, the autopsy report, right? Coming in from Albert. Mm-hmm. He's, he calls Cooper and Harry, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they're sitting, at, they're exactly. sitting at the table, one of the like conference rooms in the police station. Yeah. Um, um, there's soap. Oh, Albert comes in. I'm sorry. He doesn't call. I'm mixing yeah, it up. Yeah, with yeah, yeah. Albert he's, comes he's in. He's physically there. He's and like he's tossing talking things about, across the... Um, he's talking about how there are... It's clear that Laura was tied up twice during this night. You know, like one location, then another location. Uh, there's soap that is not like her brand of soap. So what Albert maintains is that someone, after killing her, like held her by the neck and kissed her head or whatever. Uh, there are claw marks and wounds on her from an animal there's a plastic letter j in her stomach partially dissolved and of course he's being like a dickhead while he he can't just be like this is what i found he has to be like you're a loser yeah yeah you're so dumb you probably don't even understand what soap is yeah he does that thing where uh i I forget exactly what harry says but he's like commenting on something he found he goes look it's trying to think it's trying to think yeah (laughs) um i there's I like this scene because of what happens after we go through all this sort of rote stuff because um, Harry steps out and then Albert's like, Coop, can I talk to you for a minute? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, here you go. And he hands him like a like a, a form. And he's like, you just need to sign this to say that you witnessed this assault on my person by a fellow officer. It, it's really funny to me, and this comes back again multiple times over the course of the next two episodes, um, that like... This never happens in police procedurals where it's like there's there's like an intense fight and then like you're dealing with the bureaucracy <laughs> afterward. Like it's totally like not only is the bureaucracy on screen, it's like part of the plot. Yeah. And he's like, please, as my supervisor, sign off on this assault. And he's like, I will not sign off on witnessing this assault because you were a dick. <laughs> yeah, and this is where he has the speech where he says like they're the finest like small town people he's ever met. Because life matters here. <laughs> That's what you don't understand, Albert. <laughs> And then he talks into his tape recorder, implying that he wants to retire to Twin Peaks. 
which I think I think is the first time we see Coop say Twin Peaks is an end goal for him, and that will become an interesting thematic element as the series moves yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the first time he's like, I can really yeah, lay I can down be some here. Roots yeah, here. yeah, 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 yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad idea. Uh, oh god! And then we go to Ed and Nadine. Yeah. And Ooh. Nadine comes and kisses him, and it's like, did you see that picture? And I might be saying his name wrong. Of Timothy Chalet or whatever his name is. Chalamet. Oh. <laughs> is that how you say it? Is that the pronunciation? I don't know. All I know is it's Timothy with like two e's, and it makes me infuriated. But, um. And it was like him kissing some girl on a boat, and it literally looks like two kids in a school play yeah, who have yeah, never yeah, kissed yeah, yeah. before. Yeah, and now that. that was the same vibe I got yeah, totally. from this. And she's like, "Oh, Ned. Oh, I mean Ned. Ned. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's Ed. a couple names. Yeah. Thanks for like boning me last night or whatever. And I'm like, I don't want to be in this scene. I, I, I will I say hate this. I will more say than anything. Th- this is one of the scenes where it works because it's supposed to be painful. Like yeah. it, she's clearly like. She's on cloud nine. She's feeling connected to Ed again because he's helped with the drape thing yeah. accidentally. Oh, is that what it stuff. was? Yeah, yeah. I figured and, they boned and, after. No, no, and and that seemed to be implied in the yeah. scene as well. But she's, she's like, like, yeah, we're, we're finally me. connected. Yeah, and then like Ed is so like, fucking kill me. You know? He's and just it, like, looking like off. It, it really, it really turns. It really kind of turns the dial on their like dynamic from like darkly comic to like, oh, this is this is just sad. It's like, sad it just, on every it level. Fucking hurts to watch it happen. Um, but then, you know, we get some good comic relief here as then a motorcycle pulls up and Nadine goes, is that your motorcycle? He goes, it's James. Nadine, James who? Oh. And Nadine's disappointment is all of our disappointment as James <laughs> makes his way into the scene. And he literally walks into the door and Ed's like, okay, are we ready to go to the funeral? He goes, I'm not going. And well, then why leaves. are you here? Yeah, then why did you come? <laughs> also, James who? Going with you. James who? Yeah. Your nephew. Your nephew. I mean, I, that I just straight up took as like, you know, she's not all there or whatever. Yeah. She's, I wrote, ugh, I hate it in yeah, giant yeah. letters. Yeah. James can't go to the funeral. Yeah, it's like, why? I love him driving there to say, I'm not going over to the funeral with you. Also, wonder if James is going to show up at that funeral now that he made that big old... <laughs> you can't expect him, so you might as well not even look for him. Yep. Um, we get the introduction of... Back at the Great Northern Hotel, we get the introduction of Audrey's crawl space. In her <laughs> terrible hair. I yeah. was like, her hair is so bad in this scene. And then I realized that if I just wet my hair, it would look exactly the same way because I just cut all my hair off. Like, oh, so I was like, oh, no. shit. <laughs> um, yeah. But her crawl space is kind of cool. She uses it to eavesdrop and spy. Yes. And I like that. Audrey, a person who didn't know she was getting her handwriting analyzed by the FBI agent earlier, is <laughs> attempting, trying her hand at sleuthing. Um, and you can hear some, um, you know, you can hear everyone kind of talking in the other room. And Johnny is there, her brother. Um, and Dr. Jacoby is there. And he's kind of comforting Johnny. He gets him to take off his racist headdress, which is like <laughs> this is a victory for all score. face turn for Dr. Jacoby. Score in that one scene. for the city of Twin Peaks. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, we do in this scene and in the next couple of scenes that follow, we do get some real uh, we get some real engendering of sadness for Johnny. Um, and we've talked a little bit about. Well, we've talked actually multiple times now about why his character is problematic and stuff. Uh, there are some really great moments with his character throughout the series, but also, like, why? 
Like, yeah. he kind of, uh, it's not a spoiler to say that there are some good scenes with Johnny that will happen, but also he never feels like a crucial part of the plot, and it never, it never feels worth the, the territory that we wander into yeah, for, the, to get there. Insensitivities. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I will continue to feel weird every time we've got Johnny on screen. Yeah, luckily series. he's not on there, like, all that much, no. so it's kind of like, all right. But, but. he is relatively... He, he has a real presence in these next couple of scenes. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty sad. It, it is it sad. It some real material there. Um, so now we're going to the funeral. We're at the funeral. Who is this guy who's the actor playing the pastor? I know I know him, but who you is know, he? You know, he looks familiar, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Do you think producer Matt could look it up? Yeah, while we have? Maybe, maybe something for his corner at the end of the episode. <laughs> He's here. like, did you know that that guy actually single-handedly <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. saved 14 like, orphans once? Like, I, I know he I... He did look very familiar. Yeah, I know I know this guy, but I don't know from where. Um... So, like, lol, of course James is at the fucking funeral. Right. Like, just standing awkwardly at cool guy, sad boy distance from the proceedings. Uh, the every, whole town Basically, is everybody else, like, every character we've been introduced to, except notably Dr. Jacoby, who we saw in the prior scene, right. is there. Um, I like this scene because the priest talks about Laura for a little bit, and... Um, First of all, he is like, oh, you know, she always used to say to me, which again shows that Laura was someone who connected with pretty much everybody she knew in one way or another. Maybe in some healthy ways, maybe it's in not so healthy ways. Yeah. But even the priest, she took time to like speak to and yeah. and be kind to. And he says, Laura was impatient for her life to, to begin. begin. There, there's some interestingly like good writing yeah. in this scene and here. And I like, thought that is such a specifically accurate thing yeah. especially for young women yeah yeah because that's definitely how i felt when i was 17 or 18 you know i was waiting for my life to start and i was bored as shit and i was acting out and i was two different people and <laughs> now that my life's going i'm like what the fuck and i go back to that that was <laughs> yeah. great my parents paid for everything it was neat but i thought that that was a very like good moment it rings true in a way that oftentimes you'll see these kinds of scenes get like have like boilerplate text almost pasted pasted on there of like a generic thing it feels character specific it feels setting specific it works for the scene really well um so the the priest wraps up uh johnny uh not really understanding what's going on says amen yeah he yells amen and like i i know he realizes it's a religious sort of based thing so he's like oh there's a pause better yell amen yeah and then it's sort of taken as like a little heartwarming and the pastor's like oh thank you johnny appreciate that and then bobby and i i put in my notes here bobby's just gonna fuck around and spoil the theme of the whole series isn't he he just walks (laughs) out and goes you're all fake like, you acted like you didn't know there were problems, but, man, there were problems. <laughs> like, what? Small town problems? Yeah, yeah. The most, the most, like, oh, a dark, a Ripping dark the underbelly of, of a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Twin Peaks, the community. Um, I, this is, when I think of Bobby, though, this is the scene I think of with him flailing around yeah. uh, and yelling under that tree. Like, I think of this scene a lot when I think of Bobby. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, for reasons that can only be described as James, James <laughs> begins to slow motion sprint towards him to, like, fight him at this funeral, <laughs> at funeral. as though that's going to make it better. Like, yeah, thank you. Very because helpful. You thought Laura was the one, so definitely the way to honor her memory is to fist fight yeah, her boyfriend, boyfriend that you were 
helping her cheat on yeah. uh, at her funeral with her <laughs> you casket were, you, right You were there. like hella cucking this dude, and now <laughs> you're like gonna go fist fight him Double at cut. this funeral. <laughs> so, so it really ends in this way that it is a kind of beautiful and very Twin Peaksy like mash of funny and like horribly sad where it's like like Bobby's screaming I'm gonna fucking kill you he doesn't say that for it but he should have he would have been if it was a real teenager um and he's gonna kill you at James like slow-mo and then Leland is like doing one of his many 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 increasingly frequent fits of just ultimate earth-shattering sorrow and he falls onto the like casket, the casket as it's being lowered with mechanism and then it starts to go haywire and he's being lifted up and down on the casket sobbing and now laura or i'm sorry um sarah palmer is screaming don't ruin this too in him and this the, the machine is going up and down and making these weird creaky like cartoon <laughs> and everyone's like <laughs> and everybody's all like super squicked out Oh, it's really sad, and it's also just like, what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> this is one of these things where if you're watching this show on TV and somebody walked in the room, they'd be like, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm watching it with my baby, and she's laughing at the screen. And I'm like, what the hell? You're messed up. So, so this is one of these few times, well, in particularly in this series, it's relatively few, but here, where you get a real different feel for this event, watching it on streaming now versus with the commercial break because there's a commercial break and this scene probably would have originally been used to sort of resummarize where we're at but instead what we get is a smash cut from the funeral to <laughs> to Shelly in the diner making fun of Leland being on the casket going it was going up and down and, and all like, these patrons are like that's pretty funny it's those like, are like the four people who weren't at the funeral yeah it's like these old crusty dudes who are never on camera again going like Feels bad, but also it's like it, it is funny yeah. the juxtaposition because yeah. there's no commercial you, you, break. You can tell like there's supposed to be a commercial break there, and it just like doesn't happen. It has it's like, like, the like fade a fade and fade back black like, like yeah, a, yeah, a yeah, couple yeah. beats just yeah, to yeah. make it feel like it's not as ridiculous. Um, so what we're doing here in the diner, though, more than Shelley's comedy routine, is we're seeing Ed is at the table with um, Coop, Harry, with, and. Well, Coop's not there yet. Oh. He's there at the table with Harry and Hawk. Okay. And Ed is just spouting some serious, like, city slicker xenophobia <laughs> here. He's just like, he's like, I don't know. He's he's an outsider, man. Like, he, he don't know how it is here in Twin Peaks. He's just really <laughs> Hank Hill in it. He's just like, he's, <laughs> I don't think that guy knows anything. He's a dumbass. <laughs> and, and, like, Harry's like, Oh, Ed, like, uh, well, you know, like, coffee's on you if I can figure it out. And so, like, Coop sits down, like, comes in, hey, Harry, you called me here? Like, as though they haven't been doing literally everything together all day, like, this entire as series time so is far. weird. Yeah, in yeah, show. It, it, again, it's like, literally, they, like, two hours later. Yeah, yeah, they have these insane, like, 48 hour days <laughs> with, like, and the characters are in multiple locations at once. Doesn't make any sense. Um, Coop sits down and, like, Ed, like, vaguely waves at Nadine. He's like, so how long you and Nadine been fucking? And like, <laughs> and, and Harry's like, well, that proves it. Ed, you're paying for dinner. Yeah. And Coop, it's time to tell you about our secret occult drug fighting society. 
<laughs> I love this territory. I love it. Um, so, I don't know if you want to take this, Colleen, because I know this is beloved content for you. But. So basically they start talking about how there are these drugs being like brought into the town and taken out of the town. And there's this whole like drug ring happening uh, involving Jacques Renault at the roadhouse. Um, this actually, this scene has my most favorite line of the whole series. And it's when Cooper gets his huckleberry pie and he says, this must be where pies go when they die, which (laughs) I think is fantastic. (laughs) That That is is like, I I sold many a person on this show because of that line. (laughs) Um, so they're talking about it. And of course, Coop's like, Hey, Ed, why are you getting involved in this? You're not a cop. You're not the Poe. And he's like, well, I'm part of a different thing. I'm part of the Bookhouse Boys. <laughs> and he's like, wow, a secret society? How keen. And then Harry's basically like, yeah, it's exactly like the regular cops, but with a couple extra guys. And it's like, what? <laughs> it's like literally the police force and Ed. <laughs> and Ed and like kind of James. And kind of James. Sometimes James. <laughs> it's like. And also some mysterious guy with the phone, which I'll talk about later. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, um, so they're like, okay, we might as well like go show him what's cool about the well, Bookhouse Boys, right? I, 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 I wouldn't... Okay. Uh, did he talk, they talk about the woods, though. Yes. Is that what you're going into? Yeah. yeah. Well, I was, I was going to point at two things before we move go on to it. the next scene. Uh, first is, they're pretty clear bringing up this Bookhouse Boys thing. It's like, okay, yeah, so you're seeing there is some like crime stuff in Twin Peaks. All right, fine, we admit it. It's not perfect small-town America. But also, there's some fucking weird shit. Man, not just woods. drugs yeah, yeah weirder yeah, yeah. stuff like like for some reason we can't do the regular cop thing on the drugs that's not very clear it just sounds like they're doing vigilante stuff because they suspect but they don't have like, they don't want to go through they, the process they don't want to go yeah. through the process or whatever that sort of makes sense but they're like okay but in addition to that the woods dude and hawk is like oh hell yeah the woods and it's yeah, like, like there's a darkness like, in yeah, that woods. yeah there's darkness and it's like where are we going with that? And we're going to go a lot of places with that. The woods that, are kind of otherworldly, man, but yeah. also there's cocaine. But also there's cocaine. <laughs> second of Maybe all... Maybe in the woods. We don't know. But se- the woods are... Second of all, this is another moment where the show kind of takes a really absurd moment from the pilot and kind of retcons it so it makes sense all of a sudden. Where, remember in the pilot, like, Harry threw a fucking fit when Coop was like, Oh, she was doing cocaine. And he's yeah. like, is, uh, cocaine? I've never even heard of cocaine. It's definitely not How in this town. How Yeah, yeah. What? And so, so here right now, Harry's like, oh, yeah, so there's drugs coming in. And we have these secret book boys to fight the drugs. And it's like, so it, <laughs> feel, yeah, it, it feels it feels like he, it, it kind of retcons it. So it feels like in that first episode, maybe he was really trying to steer the conversation away from there because he was not at a point where he's like, I don't think I can really tell this FBI dude that we're doing secret vigilante drug <laughs> right. fighting in but also, like, a library uh, or something. But also makes sense how in the second episode or whatever, he's like, they're like, Laura had drugs in her system. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, okay. He was like, yeah, all right, yeah. Okay. So. So, yeah, yeah, it kind of, like, again, it's another one of these things where, like, is that on purpose or is it just they were making this up as they went and like, uh, look house boys. Right. Well, it's well, always the bookhouse boys. So then they're like, we're going to go to our location. And it's a literal 
book house. It's a house with books in it. <laughs> a whole wall of them. As, as it's they, amazing. As they enter, there's a guy on a payphone against the wall. He's never addressed, never talked to, never shown his face. What is that? Like, is he is like, a book house boy? Yeah, is he <laughs> Is he like a random guy? It's so weird that we know every other character in this society except for this one guy facing a wall with a phone it's in a his red hand. It's so that weird. must be the killer. Yeah. It's like the one Imagine other... if they, <laughs> they it, went back and they were like, Oh, is that guy? Was it was a bad guy. Holy shit. Yeah. I did um, not expect that. Also, like totally is it. Is he like the one member of the Bookhouse Boys that's not either one of the cops or like one of the other main characters we know? He's just some random character. Like, <laughs> I'm John. <laughs> he was just there to rent a book. Oh, this library's nice. And they're like, shit, he's we better confused. let him or else yeah. he's gonna. He's calling to get his ride. He's like, I don't think this is really a library. Can you come pick me up? So I'm all set. Um, here they have all tied up Bernard Renault. Uh, shocks. Is it his brother? Are they brother, brothers? his cousin. I don't Something. know. Something. There's, like, there's like a million of them. Yeah. And we have, is that the guy on the motorcycle from the first episode? Yes. I, Jay I wrote that. Paulson I wrote, or whatever? Oh, LOL, Joey, Joey Paulson, Paulson. After I made such a fit of like, who the fuck is this guy? He and never we never shows see up him again. again. Well, he does show up again. And he's all like, hey. Yeah, he's like, he's like you remember Joey Paulson? <laughs> he's got like blonde hair tied back. He's like, "What's up?" I and am. I am relatively certain that this is the last time we see him, <laughs> but it's going to be hilarious in like five more episodes. Yeah, he's tweet. just going to get a tiny random. He's in a season two episode. He's in a uh, season two a season episode. Season two episode. <laughs> Incredible. According to Twin Peaks Wiki. I, I mean, frankly, given the way this series is, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a bit person in the return and we just haven't figured it out yet. You know, I it's certainly possible. tweeted, hashtag Joey Paulson sighting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought that was funny because I was like, Chris. Um, so they, they kind of talked to Bernard about like, Oh, you got caught with coke coming across the border. Like, are you selling it? And he's like, I'm not selling it. They're like, is it for your personal use? And he's like, yeah, man, whatever. I ain't no mule. Yeah. He was like very adamant that he was not a mule. That he was, that he ain't no mule. With the most cartoonish, like, French Canadian accent that this dude could muster. Like, yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Um, I, so it, it is kind of funny when they bring Coop in here and they're like, oh, hey, like, this is our vigilante bust. And Coop just immediately starts doing, like, a regular cop shakedown of this guy. You're looking at felonies here, bruh. Like, <laughs> like I'm pretty like sure not, you guys not, tie me up, like, but all it, right. It, it actually, yeah, he's like, well, not now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love the book out boys yeah. fucked it up. It wasn't until these two teenage bikers beat me up and tied me up. <laughs> at which James point, like, eh. yeah. <laughs> at which point, now you guys are the criminals. <laughs> so, yeah, that whole thing's kind of weird. Uh, he's saying, oh, I'm not trying to meet Jacques. But then we get a cutaway to Jacques, <laughs> and he's walking up to the... <laughs> this scene's really funny to me for whatever reason. He's walking up to the to the roadhouse where we know him to work. Oh, yeah, by the way, they bring back up this point. I forgot to mention it during this conversation. But when they were talking about the Bookhouse Boys, boys they repeat this thing about, like... The reason Ed got beat up at the roadhouse is because, because, he, got he, because he got his beer got drunk. By like, I felt like I got hit by a tube, like or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like he keeps changing the story. He was like before he was like, oh, I was blacking out. It must have been. It's definitely not too much beer. It must have been drug. And now he's like, I felt like I got hit in the head. It's like it, you're not even accurately describing this over and over again. So anyway, we know Jacques works there because of all this. We see him walking out to the roadhouse, and then there's just like this. 
giant red light bulb <laughs> next to the building that's like a flashing like a huge beacon. And so he just runs to a nearby payphone and calls who we find out is Leo, Leo to yeah. go, the bus light's on. <laughs> they just have like a giant red light that's like a bat signal when one of them gets beat up by the bookhouse boys or something. It's so weird. Like, ugh. I, yeah. It I is. It's so weird. What? That's not a real thing. It, it really, it really brings. Literally, the cops would be like, "What the fuck is that?" It seems yeah. weird. Every time we bust someone, it lights up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it really gives the Renault brothers an aura less of drug mules and more of like the criminals in Home Alone. You know, it's like really bizarre. Um. So, anyway, we get Leo here leaving. To go pick up his friend, I guess. Um, and Shelly's like, where are you going? He's like, never mind. It's no, like, no. all right, Jesus. Says, this, is, this actually comes back in the next episode, so I want to make a note of what he says. He says, you don't need to know. And then he <laughs> drives away. And then we see Shelly has copped the daintiest, girliest, very dainty. silveriest, pearl-handled pistol ever manufactured. It is the cutest gun <laughs> in the history of guns. <laughs> I, Second only to the Hello Kitty gun I it, saw it, once. It, it definitely, I, I, it's definitely both like character-appropriate and very David Lynch that Shelley's like, my husband is beating me. I need to protect myself. I'm going to get the cutest gun that I My can husband's find. meeting me and I need to protect myself, but I want to look very pretty. <laughs> while I do it. Yeah. Which actually does come back later. Does, that comes back later as well. Um, so we move from there to one of my least favorite subplots. Catherine spying on Josie <laughs> and Real Harry. estate drama. <laughs> I'm like, so checked out by this point. I, I literally only wrote Catherine spies on Josie and Harry. Yeah, that's so, all I wrote. So what happens is Harry has come over to uh, on his you know his booty call duty that begins after the bookhouse boy duty that begins after the his funeral. cop duty. A very full his day. funeral <laughs> that begins after his cop duty. So really, he's had a long fucking day at this point. Oh, man. Um, and so he's he's over here, and Josie's like, oh, like recapping basically this thing we saw at the end of towards the end of the last episode where she pulled the two ledgers out of the safe that Pete helped her get into. Yes. And she's like, oh, she's she's like trying to scam me. There's two there's two records here. Um they're having this conversation under this incredibly massive two-way speaker that's set up in the living room. Just don't sit under the speaker. You know, people in the house are conspiring against you. This is the most insane thing ever. So it's like, of course, we see Catherine on the other end. And she's like, like demurely listening to the giant speaker that's blasting their conversation directly to her. Um, Josie does a great thing here where she's like, here, I'll show you. She opens up the safe. Of course, one of the books is missing now because Catherine's figured out she's been in the into the books. And she's like. There was definitely two books here. You believe me, right? And he's like, yeah, here, let me see it. And he flips through. He takes this giant accounting ledger and he literally goes, flip, flip. Yeah, this looks, there's nothing weird in this one. So that's, <laughs> what? <laughs> he's a master accountant yeah, yeah. Either he's got like a beautiful mind, instant, <laughs> like the, the numbers are instantly in his brain or like he just truly was like, yeah, I don't give a fuck. About this real <laughs> like, can we have sex? Yeah, yeah. It's been a very long yeah, day. And then, and then they tell, they bone. They do, just they, bone. They really go to town. It's like kind of. It, it's pretty it, great. Yeah, it's pretty great, but it also feels almost kind of out of place. Like, oh, like she's like, oh, 
I'm afraid. Like, I'm getting, there's this real estate drama. Let's bone. <laughs> that was sexy times and big letters. Nice. So, yeah. I wonder I mean, if she wore that robe again the next day. Oh, yeah, that's her. I, I fucked think, robe. I think sure. often about that robe. I think about it constantly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a forever state of thinking about that robe. Um, so, we get this thing where Coop is awkwardly standing around in the graveyard at night as normal people <laughs> yeah, do. Yeah, figured. And, very normal. I and, mean, I assume he's he's trying to see if anybody suspicious is going to come along, but it's still very weird. Yes, yes. And so, who do we find but somebody suspicious <laughs> coming along? Dr. The, Jacoby. One character who's conspicuously missing from the funeral because we had seen him in the scene of people getting ready for the funeral just before. <laughs> um, Dr. Jacoby is there. And he's acting real sus at this point. Mm-hmm. And he's just sort of like, oh, Coop, like, I'm a, I'm bad he's guy. Like, I'm a terrible person, but Laura changed that yeah. about me. He's like, I didn't care about the town's problems, but then I cared, but then she died, so now I don't know if I care. And Coop's like, all right, creepoid. And <laughs> I guess he tells him to come by for questioning in the morning, because at the beginning of the next episode, he's there, but we don't even see that. It just, like, goes away from the scene. Yeah. It's, like, really Actually, bizarre. goes back to yeah. Josie and, and uh, Harry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And what, right. what's amazing about this scene is, like, she's like, this is what I think is gonna happen, and then just exactly explains the plot. Yeah, She's yeah, like, yeah. I think that she is conspiring to burn down the thing for arson so she can sell the land to Ben Horn. Uh, it's like, okay, so exactly what so we know exactly is happening. What so you and, know what's happening. You and, don't think, and, you know. And I've also written here, just go to Harry's place instead. Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, they're still sitting under this giant This speaker. is where they bone. But, yeah. I, yeah. I, I want to know if, like, Catherine like is, say that, is that Catherine listening in when they bone? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, she's kinky as shit. She probably is. Yeah. On, on the wiki, it has Producer's the corner. bone. As Harry reassures her. <laughs> With his dick. With his dog. The best way to be reassured, in my opinion. He's reassured her with his Harry Truman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, we, we have one more scene here in this episode. We get Coop and Hawk cracking open a cold one with the boys <laughs> at, the, at the Great Northern Hotel. Don't know why. In fact, I think later in the series, we specifically see Coop doesn't drink. It's just like... To be fair, here. this has been the world's longest day True. in history. In history, yeah. So so they deserve, like, some unwind at this so, point. So they're, they're doing some classic cold one with the boys talk where Coop is like, do you believe in the soul? <laughs> And, hanging, and Hawk, who, boys. <laughs> Hawk begins to detail a Blackfoot legend about um, their people possessing multiple souls. I mean, first of all, Hawk is established as I'm. I'm sure not Blackfoot. I think it was a different Indian tribe. Like it's like sp- specified elsewhere. So he's just like, I have all Indian knowledge. He's like. Ooh, that's uh, that's not that's not good native representation there. But I also, mean, but also it's Hawk and he is incredible. So maybe yeah, no, I mean Hawk's great. It, it's it's a problem because the representation yeah. isn't good, but he's a good character. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's hard like, to uh, reconcile. It's, it's and hard to know what to do. It's early nineties, so they're like, yeah, Native yeah, Americans. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like I don't even think we were calling them yeah. Native Americans yeah, at yeah. that point. They were just like you know Indians are all the same, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and. Yeah, it, no it, ABC viewer was like, "Excuse yeah, me, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so. 
that's one of those things that's going to be troubling throughout the whole time. It's just not going to go away. I mean, it, at least in this particular case, Hawk is a good character and he's portrayed as being competent and smart and a guy that you like. So yeah. it, there's that. It's it not, it's not even problem. like negative representation. No. It's just inaccurate. It's and just and inaccurate. that's what makes it, it sort well, of and, negative. And it's lazy. Is what it's it lazy. Is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, lazy. it's super lazy. Anyway. You can almost forgive it because he is such a great character yeah. that you're like, all right, but it mm-hmm. yeah, still like, doesn't sit it, well. It's one of those things where, yes, it's obviously well-intended, but it's just very poorly executed. Um, so while they're... Dream have, souls. While they're talking about dream souls and Which shit. Which is important. That whole conversation yeah, yeah, is like... Yeah, I guess true. We should talk about that a little bit more. The whole conversation is, is essentially very plot driven like yeah. dream souls people who can possess multiple so like these are things that come up and and they they play it off as bar banter yeah that's true that <laughs> is true they do play it off as bar banter but part of the issue with it is that there's no context for the stuff hawk is telling us yeah he's talking about people that have multiple souls people that have dream souls that go elsewhere when they're asleep which gives a little bit of context to what's going on with coop but not we we still have no information on the mechanics of Coop's dreams and what well, and the best really part about, is yeah. too like they don't really even tie it into Coop even yeah, though yeah. he's the one who's like I have mystical dreams I have, I have dream never powers. once do they think hey maybe that's what's happening they're just like mm, let's talk about souls yeah over a cold well, one while while that happens a wild Ray Weiss appears this scene makes me so <laughs> it's sad very sad <laughs> everyone's dancing and having a nice time and he's trying to dance and he's begging people to dance with him. <laughs> Oh, and he's just so sad, and I hate it. Oh, no, I hate sad dads. Sad dad. It's it's really sad. Uh, Hawk and Coop are kind of, like, picking him up off the ground. Like Everyone's kind of horrified, yeah, yeah. and he just collapses, and they're like, all right, time to go. Yep. No and, more dream uh, talk. That's a bright note to end the episode on. Well, actually, it ends on a stoplight. Yes, that's true. It does it show a stoplight. It ends on a stoplight, which comes up a lot. A lot. And was even referenced on The Simpsons. So, it's just an odd sort of jarring... It's not like it shows them driving away and no, it's just, it just cuts, to the, stop cuts, cuts to a stoplight. And it's like, mm, produced by. <laughs> or like, yeah, whatever. It's an interesting choice. Um, um, honestly, that is... That's the episode. That's it. Um, an important episode because of the funeral and everything. There's a little bit of like... A lot of good character development in this yeah. episode. And it feels a little less aimless than the stuff they were doing in like episode two where it's very like... Uh, I don't know. There, Some people are doing some stuff. And like, a lot it, less of like... And here's 17 characters yeah, yeah, that you yeah, need yeah. to know right yeah. now. So... Um, uh, it feels like the series is moving in the direction it needs to move at this point. Um, yeah, it's... I, I was surprised by how much time I spent in the first couple episodes just shitting on what was going on in the show. I mean, lovingly, but still, yeah. like, I'm feeling, like, frustration about the mechanics of the show. I think you see throughout the length of this series, like, the sort of attention that's paid to it gets, grows exponentially. Yeah. Like, it's clear they didn't know exactly what they were doing or where they were going with it at first. And Much like this podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're speaking as if there's a resolution to that. <laughs> you never know. There's a 97 more episodes to talk you're about. Right, you're right. Um, but you you watch it eventually. There's some ups and downs. But you watch it eventually coalesce into something that's really kind of huge and impressive and well thought out when you get to the end of it. And um, I, I think, like, you really feel like you're floating in space those first couple of episodes. Yeah. In spite of a few really strong 
images or character moments and stuff. And here it feels like it's, I understand what the relationships are. I understand why it's important that these multiple things are happening. Even the stuff that you don't 100% understand, you're like, okay, this is going to go somewhere. Yeah, and kind of retroactively, I think that's kind of what, maybe that's kind of what the whole point of the funeral scene and Bobby kind of just like sort of spelling it out, like does for you as a viewer is it kind of gives you a little bit of context for what we're seeing here what the relationship between these all these things going on is beyond just the greater context of the laura palmer mystery um rest in pain rip rip in peace yeah i don't know that's uh that's the episode i really think we've got you know i think we kind of covered it all i think there's not there's not anything like mysterious to kind of like ponder at this point. It's kind of just going where it's going and no. we're along for the ride. We do have, it is the one thing that's totally kind of interesting about it is that we have moved on from this incredibly weird thing that happened at the end of episode three and just up oh, now, now it's just police procedural shit. Yeah. Like, but, <laughs> you think people were like, but it's, did that happen? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and, and I think maybe that's, I, I think that's, it's fair to say that's an intentional part of what's going on. Yeah. Here because everything that happens after the red room scene, the first time is colored by the just absolute insane weirdness of it, both just literally in the context of the plot and you as a viewer, like you can't, you can't put the genie back in the bottle at that point. Yeah. And I, and I think it's interesting. They coast on that for like, a while yeah. <laughs> yeah so i i think that's an interesting thing about this episode is it how it just sort of picks up again as a police procedural after whatever the fuck that was <laughs> oh maybe they'll get back to it yeah. who knows who we'll knows? see it, it might happen again all right so uh any other closing thoughts matt did you ever find out who the I priest did. was i did actually um <laughs> Although he wasn't, corner. he wasn't in anything. His name is Royce D. Applegate. That sounds like a familiar name. Yeah, yeah. well, he... It was, sounds like the name of a Twin Peaks character. Uh, it really does. Like. It's like getting it over name. to Royce Applegate's <laughs> house. Great, going on. great name. Now, he died, so he's, he's passed on. Well, he died of fire, so he didn't oh pass God. on. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. So Ending strange. it on a light note. Yeah, I know, right? And um, he was in uh, a bunch of Cohen's things in very small roles. He was in Chips. He had a recurring role in Chips. (laughs) And he had a recurring role in Sequest DSV. Hell yes. (laughs) Fuck yeah. I haven't thought about Sequest. You know what? I hate to say it, but I think about Sequest a lot. (laughs) As Chief Malo Crocker. So if you want... You can get an action figure oh, no shit. Of, of this gentleman here who oh, played I, the priest in Twin Peaks. Uh, um, I'm going to link that on, yeah, on our Twitter. It's and pretty sweet. So rest is, in peace. Hopefully they're is, not sold out by the time this episode airs. This is, why, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is why I keep saying Producers Corner is such a crucial element <laughs> of this. Well, I, what I did want, you learn while we were yeah. chatting? <laughs> One more thing that I found in the wiki that is that is awesome. The episode was originally to figure uh, to feature a scene in which Cooper visits the graveyard and meets an elderly groundskeeper who recites a long speech telling Cooper that if he puts his ear to the ground, he can hear those who were buried singing due to their coffins expanding. <laughs> the scene was cut because they couldn't cast the groundskeeper. What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> That's why you cut that scene. Yeah. That is hands down the best Lynch trivia yeah, I've yeah. ever heard. Who do we get for the groundskeeper? My vision just can't be completed. There's no one. It's beyond us as humans. Yeah, there's no way to solve this riddle. Wow. 
Well, groundskeeper Willie actually. Well, going on. Well, I'm glad to have known that. <laughs> that is great. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna get that link from you so I can. Yeah. Um, one time in my old band, when my guitar player was talking about, I'm I'm tired of doing this shit. I'm like, I don't remember why. We didn't wind up ever playing any more gigs anyway, so it didn't happen. But my bass player and I were trying to figure out how to keep playing as a band, and she's like, I'm gonna switch to synths. Like we're gonna we're gonna do like a stripped down thing, and. I'm like, we're going to call it Ryan Sequest. <laughs> so I just wanted to make sure that that was out in the world in some way, since it never actually occurred. I'm into Sequest it. just got brought up. I whatever. think about Sequest a lot. <laughs> and on that note, and that on that note we're going to sign off. That was episode four. Was Thank episode you four. so much for joining us. I'm Colleen Carney Hefner. I'm Chris Pruitt. Bye. We love you. Bye.